0: We gotta learn to adjust our toughness to whatever the situation is. And when we learn to adjust that, then we become more inviting as a leader. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. With your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The Forge is now open.
1: When you start a podcast about mental toughness, resilience, and grit, your mind kind of wanders to who are the guests going to be on this podcast. And for somebody like me, that's probably read 10 or 12 books about the U.S. Navy SEALs. I always wanted to get a Navy SEAL on our podcast. And I would say I'm pretty excited. I think Tara is as well because we're going to welcome to the Forge our first Navy SEAL and hopefully not our last, but today Alden Mills comes to us. He was recommended to us by Allison Levine, a mountain climber and author. I want to give a little shout out to Allison for for introducing us. That was very nice of her, something she certainly didn't have to do. So that brought kind of Alden into our radar here. So Alden, let's talk about your latest book unstoppable teams the four essential actions of high performance teams why did you write that book what was the purpose behind that
0: i'll tell you ron the purpose is pretty much the same every single time i go off and do something and i always find the greatest inspiration from the people that i care and love about the most and i really wrote it for my four boys Uh, Like my first book, like anytime I really get stuck, I look to my family as a source of energy and inspiration. And I wanted to teach the boys and leave a, a note behind for them about the importance of leadership in really three levels. One, leading yourself. Two, leading others. And then three, leading a culture of change.
2: I got to ask you, you know, you you talk about one that a lot of people forget about and when you're when you're one of the 3 that you just mentioned and that is leading yourself. And everyone says, I want to become a better leader, thinking sometimes they get leadership and management confused. I want to be a better leader. I need to learn more leadership skills. And one of the things I always think is, let's start with leading you first, which you mentioned, which I love. And it resonates with me as you're saying that of why you would write this for your sons, because you're not always teaching kids about leadership in the business world, But leading yourself is completely different. Can you dig in on that? What does that mean? And why would you teach that to your kids?
0: Here's how I think of it. Imagine for a moment, you've come across this beautiful, dead, calm pond. And you pick up this pebble and you drop it into the pond and you see these three perfect radiating concentric circles come off of the ripple effect of that pebble that pebble that action is you that first tier of leadership is you it's how you lead yourself your teams become then the second ripple which is a larger ripple right it has more influence than the second one it's permeated further away and your teams become a reflection of you how you lead yourself you know and terry you you've seen it firsthand like i have in the military the heads roll at the top before they roll at the bottom because they see what happens at the bottom of the team and they go well that's just a direct reflection of the person who's the overall in charge of the team right and then there's that third ripple that that's way further away from the initial action of dropping that pebble in the pond And that's the culture of the organization. That's actually after you've even left, that's your impact, that's the culture. And so I think of it in these three concentric circles of you or mindset, then teams, then culture. And I think we're all a work in progress throughout our entire lives on how to lead ourselves and that we can always get better at leading ourselves. And that the more we are open to a growth mindset of how to improve, how to be the best versions of ourselves, we can then help inspire others to join in that team building event. And when they start to see that you're being as focused on leading yourself as leading others, well, then they're going to hold themselves to a higher standard. And before you'll know it, you'll find people working a lot better together.
1: I found it interesting, Al, And in your book, you talk about being, you were leading your team through hell week and you were having a lot of, a lot of people quit, which, which happens during hell week and during SEAL training. And you were kind of really, you had an inward focus and, and that is something that you felt like you needed to shift later. So what you're talking about as far as leading oneself, that's not about being selfish, right?
0: No. No, because there's a conversation that goes inside your head when you are put into the fire of the forge. Right? What is that conversation? There's these two voices, and I and I outline them and I talk about them in the first couple of chapters of the book, and I call it that whiner and the whisperer voice. Right. And you know, and, and I, I love the title of your podcast because you know, to me, the forge is also, it's like you're going into the unknown. And when you're in the unknown or in the forge and the heat starts to get hot, these these two voices, one of them comes at you just so hard, the whiner. How do you know this? Can You can't do this. Why do you think you can do this? Who do you know who's done it, right? And just constantly gnawing away at you. And then there's this quieter voice. And it's deep down inside. And it's not coming from the same place as the whiner. And I call that one the whisperer. Now one will say things like, embrace this, keep going. Right, it's hard to hear that voice. But once you can start to learn to lead that conversation, to me that is the first true example of leadership is learning to lead that conversation. And then once you've learned to lead that conversation inside of you, then you can help others lead that conversation inside of them. Because at the end of the day, everybody embraces unknown, gets scared. They have to deal with fear. They have to deal with doubt and uncertainty, inadequacy, embarrassment, jealousy. You throw it at whatever it is, right? But everybody has a different whiner. Everybody has that the different challenge. But they all have that conversation and you don't have to go through hell week or run the leadville 100 or you know do all the combat journalism you've done now every one of you and me included we we had our metal tested in these different ways right but the fact of the matter is anything we decide to go after that's worth going after that's going to push us into the unknown We have to grapple with learning to lead that conversation.
2: How do we do that for anyone that's sitting there saying, how do I get started? I love what you're saying, Alden, but I'm not there. The whiner voice is so loud. I don't even know if I know where the whisperer is anymore.
0: It's very hard. And in the, First and second chapter, and I outline it in my first book as well, Be Unstoppable. I talk about this technique that I ended up using. And of course, when I first used it, trying out for the Olympic team and rowing or trying out for seals, I didn't know I was doing it. But now I've formulated into this little simple system called an outcome account. And neuropsychologists will call this mental contrasting today. But what this is, is an outcome account. I want you to think of this like a large capital T on a piece of paper. And at the top of the T, you define your goal. You write down what it is you're after, as specific as you can. And then on either side underneath the T, you put a plus on one side and a minus on the other. On the plus column, you just write down the side, one, two, and three. Number one, outcome. Number two, impact. Number three, feel. Same thing on the other side, under the minus. But I want you to answer it just on the positive column. Under the outcome, ask yourself, okay, what happens to me if I achieve this goal? What's the outcome? What's the positive positive outcome of this goal? Number two who does this impact? If I do this goal, it's going to impact somebody other than you. Number three, how does that make me feel that I've achieved this outcome and it's impacted these people that I care about the most? Right. And on the flip side, you do exactly the same thing, except now it's on the negative. And the negative is, okay, what happens if I don't achieve this goal? who's impacted when I don't achieve this goal? How is that going to make me feel? Now, in the beginning, you're like, well, that's kind of boring, Alden." But what I talked about in the book was there was a moment where I thought, okay, I'm down to the last officer. It's hell week. Uh, My class is disintegrating around me, you know, and we started off with 122 in the beginning of training. And by the time we're in hell week, we're at 18. And they're telling you you're a terrible leader and why do you think you should, why do you think you can lead the SEAL team, you can't lead through hell week and, and you start really doubting yourself right and of course I've been up for 48 hours or 72 hours at that point and, and then you start playing these outcome accounts, I call it an outcome movie where I'm like oh well what's this going to feel like when I have to go home and tell all these people that I quit, and hear them say I told you so I knew you couldn't do it, or. If that doesn't motivate you enough, I flash forward a little further when I started like, oh, I don't know, that I think I could absorb that. I think I'm going to quit. And then I go, okay, well, what is it going to feel like when you tell your future kids, because you know you want to be a dad, hey, don't do what dad did and quit? How's that feel? How does it feel if you're now at the end of your life and you're grappling with the fact that you quit on just this one moment? And when you play that series out, what you'll find when you do an outcome account, or certainly what I find, is that the fear of giving up can power you to keep going. And so instead of the fear of the unknown, you use the fear as fuel to move yourself past this point where you're like, I'm not sure I can keep going. And then all of a sudden you realize, I guess I can I just broke through a little glass ceiling inside of myself,
1: right?
2: Ron, did I, you did you hit up against that in mile thirty-five of your recent fifty-mile race just this last weekend?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I laugh when I do an ultra marathon. There's there's nobody trying to get me to quit. There's nobody telling me I'm you know doing a horrible job or you know they're, they're, I don't have that extra. I don't know what are they called drill sergeants or whatever they're called. But I don't have that in my face all the time. So I always look at at what you guys go through is is another level above. What I do as an ultra runner. So, but I was thinking to myself, I just felt like I got a coaching session. That was kind of fun. I'm, I'm going to have to replay that and write that all down because that's, that's great. It sounds to me, I mean, it, this is commitment, right? This, we're, we're talking about we got to be committed. If we're going to do something hard, we got to have a strong commitment. Is that, is that a kind of a good way to sum that up?
0: You know, I, I talk to lots of people about goals. I'm a big goal center and I, I talk about these phases of goals. Like, look, you can have this dream and, You've got to take a dream and take it to a vision and then a vision you got to take it to a, a goal plan and then you got to break it down into daily actions and that is where we are going to forge our commitment is every day getting up and trying to take one more action just one more action right you know it's And so, yes, without question, you got to have the commitment, but you got to have the commitment to getting up every single day. Like you don't just wake up one day, Ron, and go, I'm going to be an ultramarathoner. Right. There's millions of steps that have taken you to the point of becoming an ultramarathoner. But you probably woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm not happy with the way I am. Or I find a lot of joy in running. I'm going to try five miles or three miles or one mile. And that led from one thing to the next to the next. But it was that initial commitment to say, I'm not accepting where I am today. I want more. I want to have something more. And that commitment needs to be forged every day by taking action.
2: What would some bits of advice or some of these action steps look like in the sense of Ron and I coach one-on-one and we also do workshops for CEOs and, and teams inside of corporations and what we're hearing from a lot of especially leaders right now is I'm burned out one year of trying to motivate people remotely and working from my living room with my whole family at home and production is down and investors are upset i can't even motivate myself let alone motivate other people where do i actually get the motivation to wake up tomorrow we're hearing this a lot and it's not changing anytime soon so how what would you talk to what would you say to leaders in that moment
0: the first thing i would say is Don't ever forget that the single most important leadership you must do is leading yourself. And you have this precious little platform, this Trinity of your three elements, and they are your mental, your physical, and your emotional. Now you can wrap your spiritual in on that emotional component or call it four, but I think of it as a Trinity and you must appreciate that you can work out as hard as your heart's content. But there is another element of energy that you must take very good care of, because you're not getting the energy back. Like you would if you were in person with somebody, I speak a lot on stage, I do one on one coaching with people. And when I am dealing with a zoom camera, You're not, I'm not getting that emotional energy back, right? Other people are having the same thing. They're not getting the the energy from their leader as strongly as if they were there in person. So you have to create more space for each other and the leader to recharge. So how do you recharge? And I'm not just talking about grinding out more Pelotons or treadmills or whatever your workout is. I'm talking about disconnecting from all electronics, from going outside and embracing embracing nature, enjoying that moment and taking a moment of gratitude for yourself, of realizing that this is just a moment, this will pass, and focus on something that gives you great joy. Find these state changes. A state change could be taking a shower. A state change could be listening to classical music. It could be reading a favorite book. It could be exercising, but without electronics. More and more, this last year of the pandemic has basically infected us with much higher degrees of Electronic, I I don't want to say it's like we've been our own electronic connection here, but we have to be able to wean ourselves away from that. And there's lots of ways to re energize ourselves, but by doing it outside, I have found that to be a powerful way to do it. And I, I will tell them all that they're not alone, that all of us deal with this, coaches as well, coaches in particular. I don't get nearly the feedback from an audience when I'm speaking to a thousand people on zoom or I'm doing a one-on-one with zoom, I used to get invigorated and now I've got to take a nap. Afterwards, mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> but you have to create those times to recharge and find state changes to help you.
1: I, I was just gonna say, I'm glad you reiterated that again, that state changes that that's, that's going in my notebook right there because I feel like, <coughs> especially right now during pan, the pandemic, when we're working from home and we're in front of our computer all the time, we need to get away and, and let our brain rest. So I hope all the listeners kind of tune into that one. And if you're feeling worn out, get your get your state changes there. Let's uh, let's go back Alden, into you know we talked about this idea of pushing through, having commitment. Your first book was called Be Unstoppable. Be Unstoppable. That's right, and it talks a lot about persistence. And you're also pretty open about the fact that not only have you failed, but you've failed often. So how does that, how does persistence, I mean, how, is that like a, is that a superpower to you? How would you characterize persistence?
0: Yeah. yeah. People would always say, well, you know, what are you best at? And I'd just say, taking one more step. It's mm. one more step because, you know, I, I was not any kind of a great athlete. I mean, I, I was, born an asthmatic with a smaller than average set of lungs. And I had doctors telling me that I should learn the game of chess. Wow. And I was very lucky to have a mom who would say repeatedly, no one defines what you can or can't do, but you, it always comes down to you. You have to decide what you can or can't do. And you know, and then I'd be like, well, mom, you know, I just tried soccer and I scored on my own team. She's like, well, then go try another sport. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, I tried basketball. And I scored on that team. Well, go try another sport. <laughs> and then I did it for lacrosse. And then I did it for hockey. And then finally I found the sport of rowing. And I was like, oh, I like boats, you know, sit on my butt and go backwards for long periods of time. And And then this whole series of events started happening. Like I started doing well at pulling an oar. And that took me to the Naval Academy and the Naval Academy took me to SEAL team and the SEAL team gave me the confidence to try a business that failed, try another business, fail, try a third business, fastest growing consumer products company in the country, try another business, sold it, you know, and, and then, Oh, another one failed. But by that point you're like, Oh, this is part of the process. Now let's just figure out ways to fail forward in you know and how can i fail faster and to me it's not about failing faster it's about trying to learn as much as we know every time we go through something right and we're getting feedback i don't think of it more like i'm just getting feedback it's not a failure it's just like oh that's just feedback okay it doesn't work over here but maybe it works over here right one of the other big lessons learned i've had on the whole superpower of persistence is making sure that whatever I'm going after, I've got a passion and a purpose aligned with it. And that it's aligned with what I'm uniquely qualified or it's it's in my power wheelhouse, right? There's these three Ps, passion, purpose, and power. And, and then I just keep trucking, just keep going.
2: How much of all of this is Do you think do you attribute to your training and your experience in the seals versus something that you've learned somewhere else along the way
0: i would like to tell you that i'm a way better leader at the age of 50 than i ever was at the age of 30 and by that point i had been dubbed uh, number one platoon commander like three different platoons and I, I'm not saying that from a, a chest thumping perspective, but I'm saying that I learned so much as a civilian, and I've you know been a CEO much longer than I've been a SEAL CO platoon commander. And you know, learning to lead civilians is much harder than being in the military. I mean, the military has got its own, its own UCMJ. We got our own legal system there. It's very you know you could get people in trouble for not working out. You can't take people work out. (laughs) And as a civilian, you know, and I I have funny stories about that, that I tried, but that didn't work out too well. But the bigger leadership challenge is in the civilian world where you're trying to get people who have all these different competing interests to get their talent and their energy and their time focused on helping a bigger goal and move forward. And that can be a real struggle. And then you got to have the, the whole pay and profit component thrown in there. You don't have that problem.
2: It's true. It makes me think, I know, I, I, gosh, I resonate with what you're saying on how different it is to rally people as a leader in the military versus in the civilian world. And it is much harder, I've found for sure, in the civilian world. How, how do you, we, how, do you, how do you do that? How have you done it where I'm sure you've had a lot of failure and success, but in the military, it is easy to get everybody kind of on the same train track and moving toward the same goal. But when you talk about even a startup company of eight people or a corporation of, you know, 50,000, sometimes, as you said, everybody's kind of going, they've got their interests going all over the place. How do you, at least for the eight hours a day... Get them rallying behind you and the mission and a similar goal as best you can. What do you
0: think? I'll throw out one of my favorite all-time quotations first. Good old E Lincoln. <laughs> if you want to win a person to your cause, you must first reach their heart. The mm-hmm. great high road to their reason. That's part one. Okay. Part two is Teddy Roosevelt. And I think he said it something like this. These are the actual words. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. If you were to read my second book, you would learn all about care. And how I've turned it into an acronym and made it into this framework called the CARE Loop. And that every ounce of my energy every day is showing people how much I care and trying to learn how to connect with their heart to then give them the fuel to go after what we need to go after and the specificity of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. But until I can win people over, then I don't really have their full agency, right? I'm after full agency, that the full commit, the all in all the time. That has to involve the heart. It's not enough to just get them mentally engaged i need them all in all the time and for that to happen means i've got to be all in all the time
1: i i know tara's chuck was chuckling with me in, in a good way we've never had abe lincoln on the podcast before so that's a new one <laughs> that's a good one well well done you should you should be in well, drama i think
0: daniel day lewis i have to thank him for uh, he's amazing it's
1: your it's your role model huh yeah. he's an amazing actor this this I'm glad you got to this topic of, of caring about your people the first thing that comes to mind and I know that the general public has a lot of misconceptions about Navy SEALs but I don't think of Navy SEALs being those people that care about who who's under them did you learn that in the Navy SEALs or was that more something you learned as you got into the civilian world
0: oh my god you know that's the best part of this Do you know SEALs, and by the way, Delta, Green Beret, Force Recon, pick any of the other special forces. They're the biggest group of huggers you'll ever meet. (laughs) Okay, let's get that one clear. Now, they're hugging because everybody has committed themselves and they've rallied and they're given all they got, right? But it's way beyond care there. Why do you think someone would jump on a grenade? Why would they run into a line of fire? Is it because they want to die for their country? No. I don't know about you, Tara, but I never woke up every day going, man, I can't wait. Maybe today's the day I'm going to die for the red, white, and blue. Right. (laughs) It's not. Yes, we're all patriotic. Yes, we absolutely want to serve. But when it comes to dying, Well, the only dying you're really thinking of is protecting the other teammates that are to the left and to the right of you. And, you know, I've often told the story about Michael Monsoor who jumped on a grenade to save his teammates. And Michael had been from the same team I had been at. And I knew lots of Michaels. And we all talked about that. We jokingly, way before Michael ever jumped on that grenade, like, hey, man, would you jump on a grenade for me? You no, know, that's like the biggest ultimate sacrifice you could do. And where does that come from? Well, that's beyond care. I call that care squared. That's love. And so without question, the love for a teammate was started, forged, forged in the SEAL team
1: you almost make me feel like that was a stupid question and i know you didn't mean it that way but i'm like gosh of course that makes total sense so the big bad seals actually do have emotions and and like to hug that maybe that's something new we just learned
0: oh yeah yeah there's lots of other emotions in there too you know humor has a big piece of the equation there and so you're, you're not all running around with unicorns and Pink unicorns <laughs> and rainbows. Um, there's all kinds of humor and everything, but I will tell you, you will never find a greater, deeper connection for a fellow teammate than in a place like the special forces of the military.
1: All right. And in a so, that role, really. Yeah. So, let's circle that back. So, is that, I think maybe that I'm answering my own question here, but is that why you can get more performance? Out of your team, when you show that you care about them,
0: I believe that is. Yeah, that's it is. That's what it's all about. Is you know, if you kind of look at the cross section of your team, and if you really spend some time to dig in, and I and I talk a lot about this, and when I I do I coach other coaches, and I, you know, I talk to companies around the world, you have to spend time to understand the personal background of your people. And what you'll find is that a large portion of the personal backgrounds of their people, they didn't have the luxury of a mom and a dad like I had. That's kept encouraging me. Hey, no one defines your limits but you kind of attitude, right? Many of them come from broken homes. Many of them come from people putting them down. They're actually starved for care. They're starved for connection. They're starved for being a part of a family that they've never had. And when you create an environment like that, well, they will be unstoppable for you because they're not going to want to leave it. And that's what I'm talking about when you create unstoppable teams.
1: Powerful.
2: And how do you... How do you foster that then when conflict arises in the sense of, and I don't mean military conflict. I mean, conflict. I mean, obviously you weren't best friends every day of the week with all of the seals you were working with, but yet I bet this is just from my own military experience. I bet even when you're in conflict or should I say even can't stand the person next to you, I bet that loyalty and camaraderie still exists how oh, do you
0: we- terry you hit the nail on the head this is a very important topic extremely important topic and when i do version 2.0 of unstoppable teams because i talk about it at length on the speaking circuit the care loop is made up of four key actions which you hear in the subtitle but it's connect achieve respect and empower and the respect element deals a lot with creating mutual respect What's the importance of mutual respect? Like, why do you want to have that respect? Well, you want to do it to create contribution. That's where contribution comes from. If somebody's point feels respected enough that they'll keep coming up with other ideas. Well, how do you get that? Well, it's through conflict. You actually have to embrace the conflict, you have to invite the conflict in. The leader that won't invite the conflict in is the weak leader. It's the leader that is not inviting the conflict in because they're scared. They're threatened. And when they feel threatened, they try and squash it using their authority. But that's not what you want to do. You want to invite the conflict in because conflict is a very simple formula. It goes conflict to confidence to contribution. And by inviting the conflict in, that doesn't mean you have to accept that you're going to do it their way or someone else's way, but you have to let that steam, that pressure of the conflict be heard and let it be, you must be listening to learn from it, not listening to win or listening to fix. You want to invite the conflict in because that will build confidence in your teammates that their point of view matters. And when their point of view matters, they'll go to bed and think of new points of view. And every once in a while, one of those points of view is going to be a great new idea. And it won't fall on deaf ears because you've created an environment that other people's points of view matter.
2: Oh, you, I can feel so many of our listeners cringing right now as they hear you say, invite conflict in because that is so contrary to how we think as humans. But I, I absolutely love what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna echo what Tara said. I, I often coach young leaders and you know, they, they're people pleasers and, and, and you know, we kind of get around to the, the question of, do you like conflict? And almost always they say, no, I don't like conflict. No way. I wanna I want avoid it at all costs. Yeah. And, I, and so I, we, we turn the conversation to say, is there such thing as healthy conflict? And so now I'm just going to say, listen to this podcast because Alden says it way better than I can. Here's why you want to do this. So I'm glad you brought that up. Let's let's spin this a little bit in the U.S. We love, you know, rugged individualism. We we have this, you know, romantic notion of the lone warrior, you know, the Rambo type in the movies. And you're very clear about this idea of being tough is not about going it alone. And you really need to lean on your teammates. Tell us more about that.
0: I had a lot of wonderful leaders that I learned from in SEAL Team. And and one of them was part Greek philosopher, heart hardened warrior. And he pulled me aside right before I was going off my first six month deployment and he said, I want you to remember <clears throat> something, and I've told this to you many times, but I want you to remember one more time. I'm like, oh, what's that, sir? <clears throat> when you're over there, only ever be as tough as the situation dictates. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, and by the way, when you come home, I want you to be the same too. Only ever be as tough as the situation dictates. So let me give you an example. When you're overseas and, you know, you're trying to blend in, do you think it's helpful to walk into a restaurant with your chest all puffed out saying, look at me, I'm Billy Badass, right? No, you want to blend in and and not be that super tough looking person, right? If you're asked to go to participate in an art show, Do you think it's important that you need to talk about how great a mixed martial art fighter you are? Like, no, we're talking about colors of an art show right now, right? We got to learn to adjust our toughness to whatever the situation is. And when we learn to adjust that, then we become more inviting as a leader. One of the greatest challenges any leader faces is our ability to connect with the broadest, diverse set of personalities. If we decide, I'm Mr. Tough Guy, I'm only looking for other tough men and women to be with me and that's that, then we're missing out on a whole wide, great spectrum of other mindsets that could actually really help us be tough when it counts. Let me give you an example. I was in the middle of growing uh, Perfect fitness, which was really perfect push up and perfect pull up. And I really needed to find a head of design. And I was really struggling because I'm not a designer. I, I mean, I have some ideas and I could write stuff down on a napkin, but I needed a world-class designer. I wanted to come up with basically, I wanted to bring a machine gun to a knife fight of fitness design. That was my plan. And so I went around trying to find these designers. And I found this fabulous designer. His name is Ian, I'm very close to this day. And he is a professor at California College of Arts. He's a part time professor and he was running uh, WAMMOS design. And before that, he had run Ido's San Francisco design office. And he, he was a superstar. And he looked at me and he goes, All oh, right, you're a former Navy SEAL. I can't work with you. You're you're, going to be just like straight down the middle. You're going to just be command and control. Like design is not command and control. Design is about you have to let this free form and do this, this, and this. And so I was the one that had to break my toughness down to prove to him that I could actually be as soft as he needed me to be to embrace these different directions. All of a sudden, the Navy SEAL card played against me, right? And so, yes, is there a time to be tough? Without question, there's always a time to be tough. And usually it has to deal with the whiner right there and then shutting the whiner down. But that doesn't mean you have to be a tough, hard-ass asshole in front of every other person that you're speaking with at the same time. No, you have to be broad with your ability to scale when is it time to be tough and when is it time to be tender.
2: So perfectly said. Thank you. Coming from one of the toughest people we've had on our podcast thus far to say... You got to know when to be tough and when to be tender. I think that's fantastic. Alden, as we as we wrap up, how do people learn more from you, about you, work with you, get involved with you? I know you said you coach and you public speak. Tell us about that because I know some people out there are, are wanting to know how to do that. And we'll put a lot of this in the show notes too.
0: Yeah, thank you for bringing it up. It's been a real honor to be on your show. I've loved it. They can find me. I have a website. It's my name with a hyphen between my first and last. So it's Alden, A-L-D-E-N. Hyphen mills, M-I-L-L-S dot com.
1: We've touched on this topic more than a few times already. This idea of failure, we've got a, a pretty good sense of what you think of failure. I think you use something along the lines of failure as feedback. So now we're going to put you on the spot, Alden, and we're going to ask you, this is a tough one. What is your greatest failure, and maybe what did you learn from that?
0: Well, I actually haven't had any real failures in my life. They've all just been feedback, and it's all fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, <clears throat> I've had some feedback I really didn't want to get in my life. And, you know, people hear when they say, Oh, this guy invented the perfect push up. And I was like, Yeah, it was the overnight success that took 10 years. Well, I had looked at bankruptcy three times with perfect pushup and it was the third time that was my biggest failure. And the third time we were at a position now where we were a market leader, but 2009 had hit us. We were, had a failed process and we were going to sell the company for a ridiculous sum of money we're two weeks from that happening and then 2009 happens the bidders fall out three weeks or no three months later the bank that we had just switched to froze our 15 million dollar loan and they ask us to pay it back in 30 days and that's not the failure because we actually convinced them to pay us back in in 300 days. And, and we righted that piece. My biggest failure was I put my trust in another company with their CEO and I really believed in this person and one action after another, I still kept believing in the person and I wasn't looking at the action of them not paying us forced me to, fire or not fire, just I I had to furlough a bunch of people because we weren't getting paid. And I put a lot of people through a lot of pain because of my pride and believing that I knew the intentions of this person were good. And then it turned out they went bankrupt. And we got in a position where I had to then sell the company much faster than I've ever wanted to do that. That was a really hard one. It impacted a lot of people.
2: Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.